Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Really fun show today with Polly Moody. Polly is a master's runner now, and I couldn't wait to talk to her because she was a really good runner in her mid-30s. She was excellent at the marathon, and it seemed like she was getting better and better almost every race and got under three hours in the marathon. Truly exceptional stuff. And then she had a horrific knee injury. Now, it didn't seem horrific at the time, but ultimately she had a torn meniscus and a torn ACL at the same time. Had to get both of them fixed up in surgery. And that is a really brutal injury to come back from. And I couldn't wait to talk to her about it because not only did she have that injury, but she came back. And when she came back from it, she was all of a sudden she was 40 years old. She was a master's runner. And for a lot of people, when they hit that age, it can get tough. Also coming back from a crazy injury. What does the future hold? Well, what does the future hold for her? Simply put, a, an, an enormous PR at the Chicago Marathon. This woman is better than ever after coming back from a just a major, major knee injury. She also teaches full-time and has two young kids. How does she manage it all? You're about to find out. Also, big shout-out to John G. sponsoring this episode. I love John G. clothes. I've been wearing them nonstop. You can check them out in their five-year guarantee for the best running attire out there at johng.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com. And use code RAMBLING to save 15%. Also, they have a huge sales page. So if you're one of those people who's like, hey, I just don't like to spend money on clothes, I totally get it. I've been there myself. Luckily, the John G sends me some free gear, which is nice, but they have a huge sales page. So if you go to johng.com and check out their sales page, the code works for that stuff as well. So go check it out today. Now, let's get into my podcast with Polly Moody. All right, Polly Moody, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is an absolute pleasure. I have been following your running journey for a very very long time. I don't know if you were aware or were not aware, but following you on Instagram has been an absolute blast. And seeing you come back from a major, serious knee injury that I have personal um, you know, attachment to because my best friend in college had the same knee injury when we played basketball together and I saw the rehab he had to do every day for like a year and a half to get, you know, pretty close, to get even close to where he was before. And to do that after 10 years of grinding and then to come back from that and as a master's runner to set a PR in the marathon at Chicago where you finished the fourth, what was it, the fourth place female Canadian and ninth in your age group at 246.34. Truly amazing. So congratulations. Thanks so much. I'm this really is absolutely incredible. So I, I can't, I'm going to be hopping around here because I think there's a lot of topics I want to hit for sure. Um, I guess let's just go back to 2021. Can you tell me, um, I guess, where you were just from a fitness perspective, training perspective, goals perspective prior to your knee injury? Yeah. So, the well, the actual injury happened in spring of 2020. Okay. So gotcha. okay. that's when I was injured, but it took, like I started, I didn't realize I tore my ACL when it happened. Um, and so I had actually just done it like doing a jump squat in my basement. And I'd heard a pop, but you know, like you kind of just pretend it's not so bad. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, I was doing physio and I had injections and everything from May, 2020, trying to rehab it. And then it just, it kept, it popped out again, um, like six months later, um, again, doing a jump squat. I'm never doing a jump squat again. Um, and so that was kind of when I realized like, okay, I think this is actually pretty bad. So it took like 
several months for me to realize how bad it was. And then from there, um, I got a referral to a surgeon who is the one who right away knew I'd torn my ACL. So when I had torn my ACL, that was like kind of a few months into COVID. I just run a half marathon PR um, a couple months prior to that. And it was COVID. And I think I was probably running more than I should have as maybe a coping mechanism. And um, I'd just come off of a, a fall marathon PR in 2019. I'd run a marathon PR 2020 around a half marathon PR. So I would say like things running wise, I was like really going strong. And then COVID hit and then ACL tear. All right. So walk me through like the doctor's appointments where like what were you saying to the doctors and the tests that come back? Because like usually an ACL tear is something that like they usually do an MRI for. But like they often know like on the table when they do like they, you know, they brace the knee meet on the medial side and then they kind of push it to the medial yeah. side and they can feel like, you know, the tightness in the knee. And usually, you know, like on the table, like, okay. Like, this is probably an ACL. We'll do an MRI just to double check. Yeah. Now, what were, like, the, the systems, not the systems, but what were the processes that you and your doctors went through, like, along this along this timeline to finally identify what this actually was? Yeah, it, it's kind of silly looking back. Like, I probably should have known earlier. But, I mean, I'd seen my physio and I'd seen a sports med doctor. Both of them had assessed my knee. Neither of them had picked up on the ACL tear. And so then it wasn't until I got a referral to the surgeon and it was literally like, that was December, 2020. And I will never forget it. Cause I was like, I thought I was just going to go to the surgeon. I, I don't know what I thought was going to happen at that appointment, but what happened was I sat on his table and literally within 20 seconds, he was like, you've torn your ACL. And I was like, I, what, <laughs> excuse me? Like, back it up <laughs> and um within like literally a minute of being in there he's like okay so we're scheduling you for surgery and I was just like I wish that some, someone had had a camera on my face because I was I don't know I was in total shock and I, I held it together during that appointment um but as soon as I walked out of the office I lost it um and I was in Banff I had to drive out to Banff which is an hour from Calgary where I live for that appointment and I like that drive home to Calgary I literally I turn like all my like high school breakup music on and bawled my eyes out oh <laughs> so I, all right the, the podcast is just completely derailed everyone wants to know exactly what those songs are because we all have that music inside of us and, and now people are just going to want to know what this was I, I don't know if we're even going to get back to running at this point we're going to talk about music of the early 2000s now <laughs> No, I'm serious. I want to know. Like, what are some of those oh, songs? Like, oh, yeah. like everybody hurts by REM. Okay. See, this, this, we're the same age, roughly speaking. I'm like a year, a year older than you. So, like, your breakup music is also the same stuff that was happening. Those like coming my way, like right. you know, on, on, on the radio yes. when I was when I was going through breakups. I was never the dumper. I was always the dumpy. So I always had to cope. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. All right. So usually with ACL tears, again. I, this is one of the this is one of the odd subjects that like I actually know a little bit about, even though I've never had an ACL tear. Usually, like after the point of injury, like and it gets diagnosed, like all right, this just happened, and it gets immediately diagnosed. There's usually a four to six week period where people start doing prehab and they don't go into surgery right away to mm -hmm. let the swelling go down. 
So mm-hmm. once the swelling goes down, then they have surgery. At this point, considering it was many months after mm-hmm. the event occurred, at least the initial event, and you, you alluded to like maybe this happened twice or maybe it was irritated the second time. What was the, the timeline from this, this appointment with the surgeon to you know when the surgery actually happened? That was actually really quick. So I, in the end, I didn't even have an MRI. So I saw him at the beginning of January, or sorry, beginning of December. And then I had surgery at the beginning of January. So it was super fast. Um, and then it wasn't until he went in for the surgery that he fe- uh, found my meniscus tear as well, because I didn't have the MRI before. I was pretty sure I had a meniscus tear because I had meniscus repair on that knee like many years ago. And so I was pretty sure I did, but um, he didn't know until he got in there. So then when he got in there, he did an ACL allograft and um, a meniscus repair. So do you know exactly what they did with a meniscus? And we had Dr. Kevin Stone on the podcast like a, about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago. And he's one of the foremost surgeons in the U.S. when it comes to meniscus tears. And he talked all about like the different techniques that they now use and kind of minimizing uh, what they take out of a meniscus to try to keep it as intact as they possibly can. Did you get any uh, feedback on exactly what they did in there? Because people yeah. who don't know the meniscus is like, I'm sorry to interrupt my bad. The, the meniscus people don't know is kind of like the padding, like the internal shock absorbing padding that's inside your knee. So kind of like think the ASICS gel of the knee that's in there yeah. for shock absorption. Exactly. So with mine, it was a bucket handle tear, which is just basically code for like a really big tear. Um, so it was big. Um, and normally what they do with those is they trim them out. But my surgeon is awesome. He does all the, um, the knees for the Canadian Alpine ski team. And he took the time to repair mine. So he stitched mine up. So I didn't lose any of it. Um, so the pro is that long term, you're less likely to have arthritis in your knees. Um, the con is it prolongs your recovery. So if he ta- if he just snipped it, I would have been back running within a few months. But because he'd repaired it, it was actually my meniscus that kept me from like six months off of running. Right, because there's no blood flow to the meniscus, so it like it slows down the healing process. Yeah, it really, it's more, yeah, like it's it's more likely you're gonna re tear it. I think is my what I, my understanding. I'm right, not- and then people who don't know, like the reason that like the um, the reason that there's you're less likely to have um, you know this long term issue. What was the word again? I'm now forgetting the word. This Are is right insane. It? Yeah, arthritis. My gosh, I know this word. I can't believe it. The reason you're less likely to have arthritis is because you're not going to be going as bone to bone because that part hasn't been taken out. I know this is like my dad. My dad's in the era of like, oh, you have a meniscus problem. We're 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 scoping it out now. Like now, all that the whole generation is now like bone on bone, and they can't run like in their in their sixties or whatever. Um, so that is a huge recovery. So torn ACL, torn meniscus, repairing the meniscus. What was the initial um initial timelines you were given um in terms of rehab getting back to running getting even back to weight bearing yeah so that was kind of the double whammy too so going into my surgery i didn't know about meniscus my meniscus so i thought i was in for like a couple months off of running and then when i woke up he's like surprise i repaired your meniscus now you can't run for six months i was like what um so yeah, there was a shock. It was um, the first six months, I would say, were really hard. Um, 
I still remember, I have this vivid memory of like sitting in my living room a few days after surgery, looking at my knee and just feeling like everything I had worked for in running was gone. And like, maybe that's a little bit dramatic, <laughs> but like, that's what was, that's what I was thinking in my mind. Like, I think you like, you know, in the back of your head, like, okay, it's a long road back. But I was at that point, I was just like, oh my goodness. Like I've worked so hard to get so fit. And like, I was just looking at my like, like muscles that were already gone thinking like, this is, this sucks. <laughs> Now, when you were going through that doom spiral that we we can all relate to at various points in our lives, that's for sure. How much of that was connected to age at that point? That's a good question. Yeah, I think, I mean, at that point, I'm in my late 30s for sure. And I'm kind of like I've run, I was running super strong before it. And that was definitely in my head of like, well, this sucks now. By the time I do the work, I'm just going to be some washed up old runner anyway, who's never going to be able to run fast. So like maybe even what's the point? Because like, <laughs> I think there's like, I don't know, I'm sure it's not just me as a runner, but like you start getting towards your late 30s and you're like, tick tock, tick tock, got to get the fast times in, got to get the fast times in. Like I'm going to hit 40 and everything's going to fall apart. Um, And so, yeah, that was for sure in my head. And there is definitely the question of like, yeah, is age going to become a factor in terms of my ability to come back? Yeah, I can imagine that being the case. That is for sure, especially in those when those that really depressed those really depressing moments, right? When all of a sudden we're we're spiraling. We know we're spiraling, but we you know you just kind of have to kind of flow with it at the same time. In your more like even sober mindset um, moments, when you're kind of thinking about the recovery process and what it entails. Did you, even in like those, those calmer moments, did you ever think like, I'm not sure if I want to do everything I can to get back to where I was, if not even better? Um, I knew, I think I knew the whole time I wanted a fighting chance at it. Um, running like means too much to me to not try. Um, I definitely had the like I had huge doubts as to whether it was possible and I kind of had to put like the idea of running PRs um to the side and just know like put the work in knowing that I would I wanted to run again in whatever capacity that was going to be and so that was just kind of my motivation I was like I can't I don't need I can't even like think about running my fastest right now, like what I was doing in 2019, 2020 wasn't even like on the radar. It was just like, I need to do whatever I can so that I can run and like be my happiest self. So you start the, so you start the rehab process early on. You have to go through like the full chapter and verse of what the rehab process entails. But can you walk me through, you know, some of like the stickier moments of like either the progress wasn't going great or just mentally, you know, it wasn't like it was, it was a hurdle or shoot, even conversely, like maybe things were going better than you anticipated. And all of a sudden you were getting momentum. Can you, can you kind of like walk me through, especially those first six months of like going from, from non-weight bearing to weight bearing, but then you're doing all of like the stretching and getting past 90 degrees and all of that stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, it was definitely slow. Like, the first little bit, I remember being like, okay, like, what I have to do right now is, like, work on my knee extension. Like, I literally, right now, I am sitting on the floor, and I've got heavy stuff on my knee, and that's, like, my focus. I'm going from, like, running hard and, like, having those goals to, like, all right, like, I need to get my knee to go straight. Like, just felt so lame. Um... And then, like, hobbling around the neighborhood on crutches. I was on crutches for six weeks. I still remember being like, okay, I have to get outside for my sanity. And being like, okay, I made it a block today. <laughs> and, the, like, snow. Like, <laughs> snow and ice. Um, and so that was sort of, like, the first few weeks. Was, my extension was what came the slowest and required a lot of work. Um, and then, I like, other breakthrough moments are, like, that first time you get your, like, leg or to turn around on the bike. And you're like... I'm on the bike. <laughs> You're literally like, and it hurts. Like you did like one revolution. It's yeah. like, hooray. Revolution. And you just, you're just like, yes. Um, and then we're like, I remember the day that I got off crutches and my daughter's like, mom, you can walk. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Like, wow. How times have changed. Um, <laughs> What was it like for you? And I probably should have asked this question before the last question. I'm a little out of order here. But yeah. what was it like for you when you go back to that, like, how I tore my ACL moment? Were you like, I can't believe I tore my ACL doing a jump squat? Like, did you almost, like, wish it was more, like, more yeah. of a catastrophe? Totally. Like, I can't even, like, this is the worst story ever. Like, I'm in yeah. my basement and I jump up in the air and I tear my ACL. Like, again, I don't want to, like, put that on you. But I can imagine having that those thoughts of like i don't even i don't even have a good story connected to this like i'm not an alpine skier who's like going down a double black mountain like i'm just sitting here trying to get a workout in yeah it was pretty lame um yeah i think like i honestly think what had happened is i torn my meniscus like years ago playing soccer i'm not a soccer player but i i ran a 10k race and then played three soccer games in one day and at the end of the third soccer game i tore my meniscus in my early 20s so that was a better me tearing story but I had that repaired. And I think what happened most likely was I think over the years that initial meniscus repair, I think it tore like through pregnancies and like, because I kept on tweaking it. And so I think what happened is I weakened my knee and then the jump squat was just like that force that like blew it out. So I went, I like leapt up in the air. I felt my like knee dislocate. I heard the pop and then I landed on the other foot. So it was kind of gross, but it was like, it, it, yeah, it didn't feel like anything big at the time. All right, folks, quick break from my conversation with Polly to talk about John G. I love their middle shorts. So they have the middle shorts and they also have the two-in-one shorts. And I love both of them so much. Actually, right now I want to talk about the two-in-one short. I want to talk about the middle short, but I do want to mention the two-in-one short because I used them for my long run the other day and I love their pockets. So they have the pockets not on the outside. Well, they have a pocket on the outside, on the outside shell of the two-in-one short. But I love the pockets on the inside, the little spandex pockets right on the side of your legs. You can put your gels right there and you forget that they're there. I love pockets where I forget that I'm even carrying my gels. That is the best sensation because there's no sensation at all and it's just effortless. It fits perfectly. You're going to love it. Go check out John G today. They have a five-year run guarantee. They have a wonderful sales page. If you go to johng.com, that's J-A-N-J, J-A-N-J-I.com and use code rambling, you're going to save 15% on all of their stuff today. Right. And to put this in perspective for people, like there are athletes who 
who still continue to play sports with a torn ACL, especially athletes that can that go in more linear sports, right? Not like someone who plays soccer or basketball, like that's an impossibility, but like it's the change of direction stuff that the ACL really comes into play. Now, a torn meniscus is a completely different scenario altogether. Now, going back to your recovery, <laughs> walk me through the moment where at some point in your recovery, you must have started to feel like the wind at your back and all of a sudden you go from catastrophizing and thinking like, I don't know if this is going to happen again. My best days are behind me where to mix my metaphors, there's all of a sudden, maybe, maybe a light at the end of the tunnel that, that maybe this isn't quite as bad as I thought it was early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, at six months I was allowed to start running again and like, to me, like when you say, okay, you're allowed to start running again. I'm like, okay, we're running. But like, you're not really, <laughs> you're running and walking. <laughs> and so like from the six month mark on till around the year mark, I was literally like just trying to get from run walking to, I think I was probably, I think by the end of like 12 months, I was doing like 10 mile runs. So I, like that progress happened within a span of six months. Um, and then, um, I don't know when exactly things fell into place. Like it really took, because I think for me, like I wanted to just keep building my mileage. Like I'm used to like marathon training. And so I think my idea of like success was kind of skewed by like how much I'm used to running. And so it was still a struggle from like the six to 12 month mark because like I was running, but I was like, I was not doing any fantastic workouts. Um, I was probably trying to go a little bit hard too fast. Like I was trying to do workouts, but then like niggles would come up. And so I just felt like I was spending a lot of time at physio. Anytime I like felt like I was getting like a couple of good weeks, I'd have like some sort of niggle come up and I'd have to like ease up and I'd go to my physio and then I'd try to build back again. It just kind of felt like this spiral of like niggles for, for sure, like well beyond the one year mark. Um, I would say like it was probably closer to the 18 month mark where I finally was like close to back to my original mileage with some intensity in there. So it took a solid year and a half for me to kind of be like, okay, I'm running in a way that like really makes me happy again. Thank you for sharing that. And I'd love to hear about the mental journey uh, that accompanied this physical journey in terms of did you feel like content at points or were you always kind of striving for more, maybe always pushing the goalposts, which can obviously lead to the, like the feelings of like, Oh, I, I just, I'm not quite there. I'm not quite there. I'm not quite there. Like, and again, there could also be little bits of everything there. So just walk me through that process, especially like the nine month to the 18 month mark where you're really progressing in the running side of things and how the, how you're addressing that, um, upswing in mileage with potentially also the upswing with expectation. Yeah, it was definitely a little bit of both. Like there were days where I was so just so happy to be running again. Um, and I could really see like how awesome that was, like just to be back at it. And I'd like some of those first few workouts, like they were slow, so slow, but like, I was like, I can try to run fast again. And so then you just get excited about it. Um, but then it was, there was always just like those little niggles that kept on happening. So it was just like, 
or those moments where you're just like, why do I even bother? Like, maybe I just need to like be a hobby jogger and just be content with like just being able to run again. And then you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I really like running fast. Let's try this. So it really was this like roller coaster, um, for sure. Until, um, uh, like summer of 2022. Um, and then when I was off that work, work that summer, cause I'm a teacher, I, I'm lucky to have some time off. That's when I kind of was, I got a few like really good trail runs in. Um, I wasn't stressed with work and like, I would say really like that summer I started training with my coach again, um, that June. And so once I got on with my coach, um, again, and I had that summer off, like things like really clicked and finally progressed that summer. I'd run a 10 K in May. And I remember running, no, sorry, a 5k. I ran a 5k in May and I ran my 5k at like exactly what my marathon pace, my all out 5k was exact, my exact marathon pace that I'd run my last marathon in. I remember finishing that 5k and being like, I don't know if I should be so proud or so depressed right now because that was all out. Like I just killed myself running my former marathon pace for 5k. But that after running that like 5k, it was my very first like race back. I was like, okay, um, got back with my coach. And then it was summer 2023 that we started to work together. Um, and then, um, and then he had me register for Houston half in January, this past January is my like first like race back. So you had six months to prepare. Yeah. This, yeah. Gotcha. And then 2023, it was on. That is for sure. And, and, you know, the proof is in the pudding. We already talked about how you did in Chicago. So obviously people know the end of the story. With that said, as you just talked about very briefly, you are you are a teacher. So you have a full-time job. You also have two children. Now, being a teacher as someone who is married to one, <laughs> is, you said, I'm lucky to have the summers off. Well, you work for it, man. Like, I tell you what, yeah. I have four kids in my house. It's a lot. And to say nothing of trying to teach 25 kids how to do math when they're not interested in doing math. So that is a whole different thing. So talk to me about, again, this doesn't have to even be like post-injury because you've been a teacher for a while. You've had kids for a while. So mm -hmm. talk to me about like just what your daily schedule looks like when you are training at kind of close to max capacity and again that can mean different things in different seasons of your life but what that means from like your scheduling perspective i guess first and foremost and but also that but also what that means from a mileage and time on beat perspective yeah so yeah for me when i'm working um the mileage that i can hold is definitely different than like when i'm off in the summer um, and it also like, it fluctuates from season to season. So the one thing I really have to be cognizant of is like my stress load at work. So if I've got like, if I'm really stressed at work, I can't do the same sort of running. And so it's really important to be in tune with that. Um, for the most part, like if things are going all right at work, <laughs> um, I'm, I usually max out around 65 miles a week. Um, and then it's just higher in the summer because I can. So for me, um, most of my running happens early morning. A lot of it is solo, um, just like purely from a time perspective. Um, I have one really close friend who lives in my neighborhood and we do easy runs together. And those are like my favorite because we can run out from my front door and meet her. 
Um, but other than that, like most of the time I'm getting up and I'm running my workouts on my own, like five thirty in the morning. Um, I'm going to pause you there. I'm going to pause you there. So you, so the run starts at five thirty. I guess walk me through the, like the night before leading into the run from a scheduling time management perspective. Yeah. So early bedtimes, <laughs> I'm pretty late. What, what is, what is um, early? Again, you're, you're a mom it, too, right? So you have, you have to do I, the bedtime routines and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So like it's busy. Cause I'm like, after work, I'm driving kids to whatever, like, hockey badminton um wait hold on skating. kids played badminton as a sport as a youth sport <laughs> they're yes yeah, so their dad went to the olympics for badminton so my kids have no choice but to play badminton and that was actually my main sport growing up <laughs> there you go we'll see the, go. Hey, good for them i didn't know this was a sport in in, in the North u.s America, it's not but if you go to like um some european countries and like any asian countries it's huge so yeah it's not like a yeah yeah, it's great. I'm not hating on badminton. Again, we pronounce it differently, but we're saying the same sport. In in the U.S., it's like, again, I can't speak for the entire United States, but I can say in the vast majority of the U.S., it's just like a gym class thing. It's like totally. you and do it's it in a gym weird. and you didn't even know it exists outside of gym. I love the fact that it's a sport because it's a great sport for kids. It's it great. It's that really makes a lot nice. of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm driving. Yeah. So that's what yeah, it's like badminton and hockey are their two main things. So I'm usually driving piano. So these kids have an Olympic an Olympic father and a mom who ran 246 as a 40 year old marathoner. These kids, (laughs) these kids are like on the fast track. I don't know if they're going to be athletes or not, but they got, they got good genes. (laughs) Yeah. They're both into sports. Thank goodness. I don't know what we would have done if they weren't. Um, Yeah. So I'm busy doing that. And then we're home from activities. Like sometimes we're not home till seven 38 and then it's like, getting lunches ready for the next day so often like i'm not gonna lie it's like mac and cheese for dinner like i am not doing you know you gotta pick your battles i guess and then um you can fit you can only fit in what you can fit in yeah and, that, exactly. and that's yeah. the thing too like you have to yeah. let some things go and so that's it sometimes like dinner isn't usually anything fantastic um yeah then it's lunches packed and kids to bed and i try to be in bed for like nine nine fifteen when i'm training for sure um i really like to be asleep by nine thirty if i can um i'm up usually by five fifteen at the latest because i need to start my run like five forty five at the latest in order to shower and get out the door and get to work and what time do you have to leave for work um usually like quarter to eight or so oh that's not too bad I, mean, I, I know some teachers who have to leave a lot earlier. It's really close. Yeah. Um, and if I can stay and get a little bit of work done after school, then I don't feel like I have to rush in there too, too early, which is really nice. Yeah, that's definitely the move for sure. Well, hey, congrats on working out of school that starts a little bit later. You know, it's like yeah, some of these no, start at 730. Really, it's like I school starts at 730. You, gotta, you have to leave at like 645. Like, yeah, it's tough. I would be up at four to run. I couldn't do it. <laughs> you Here's the thing, Polly. I feel like you could. I was gonna say that I feel like not only that you could, but that you would. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that is hysterical. All right. So one thing that you've talked a lot, and you've done a great job of sharing your running journey on Instagram. Um, and you've done it for a very long time. So I feel like I know an inordinate amount an inordinate amount about your life, despite the fact well, this is our first time we've ever talked. I'm an overshare. 
No, it's not overshared because I feel like you do a great job of like, it doesn't feel superfluous. It feels like, hey, this is what's going on. But one of the things that you talk a lot about is that like, that progress not only takes a long time, but also that it's not linear. So mm -hmm. it does, it's not like, hey, let's graph this out and you're going to go from 330 to 325 to 320 to 315 and so on and so forth, you know, depending on where you start and kind of going from there. So it's one thing to look back at with hindsight and to say, hey, this is how it worked for me and here are some lessons. With that said, it's a totally different experience to like live it in the moment. So over the last three years, you've been able to live a nonlinear athletic and recovery journey how has that been like for you managing that process while knowing full well that things aren't linear, but also having to like go through it all again in a way that like hopefully and and then luckily it worked out this way that things not only progressed to where they used to be, but actually you got better from where you were. Yeah, I think I think the key to my last few years has been um not getting too caught up in the end result and really focusing on enjoying the process. Um, I think this, this is one of the blessings that came from my injury and surgery is I think prior to it, I was so focused on like hitting PRs, running faster, faster, my paces and workouts. Like I was getting pretty crazy about it, looking back like from where I am now. Um, and I think the blessing was, I had no choice but to take my foot off the gas. And then through that, instead of like being focused on my race results, I was just so happy to be back running and training. Like this past marathon training cycle being my, like I hadn't run a marathon in four years. And so this summer, um, I was just so excited to be doing that. Like, I was like, I'm marathon training again. Like, this is my favorite thing ever. And so I really enjoyed the process. And I, yeah, I think that fundamental change um, made, just gave me a different perspective, made everything better. And not only that, it, I also wonder how exploring the trails, running a 30K and doing very well, but really going outside of the normal structures that we see with the road marathoning build up and training plan. And, and you have some wonderful photos that you took and, and you live in an area that seems like is very conducive to trail running. But tell me about going out on the trails, experiencing that and doing it in a way that just the way you wrote about it seemed like you were just loving that experience. And again, putting this in context, this was in the middle of the Chicago Marathon build. So this wasn't just like, hey, this is a season for fun and exploration. And while that actually may have been the case, you also had big goals at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really lucky to live in Calgary. So we're an hour from Banff. And so we have like the best trails, like unbelievable mountain trails around us. And I've always enjoyed them and explored them. I've always done lots of backpacking, but I hadn't done... I've done some trail, trail running, but not a lot, um, mostly because of my knee. Until I had my surgery, I didn't really have the confidence in it. And so this summer through my marathon build, like one of my focuses when talking to my coach was like, I really want to enjoy the process. And so anytime I was able to get out to the trails, anyone, anytime anyone asked me, the answer was yes. Like I was like, yeah, I'm going. Um, and so, yeah, my marathon build looked 
really different in some ways than it did in previous years. Like three weeks out from Chicago, my peak long run was a 30K trail race. I never could have done that in my last marathon build because I was too set on like, oh, three weeks out, that's your peak, that's your peak training run. Like you need to run 22 miles on the road. You need to be holding this pace. And if you don't do that, then maybe you're not ready. And then versus like this year. And I was like, yeah, let's go like run fast on a trail and see what happens. Um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that mindset shift because that, that kind of type a focused, sometimes even hard charging mentality can be a huge, huge positive. Right. Like it can lead to so many great results. And especially like in the teaching profession, you need that sort of tape type A ness because you also need to be like that was that was a really poor way of saying that. <laughs> that was that was extrapolating that out. I was like, that was that was not exactly what I wanted to say. Anyway, having that type A characteristic, maybe is a better way of saying it, um, is also a huge positive because you're organized, you're organizing things for twenty-five other little humans, right? So like yeah. that is a huge thing. With that being said, talk to me about stepping away from that mentality and maybe not holding things so tightly while at the still at the, while at the same time being goal oriented because I feel like a lot of times people can't thread the needle between those two things right if they're taking their hand off the wheel a little bit it also means that they're maybe going to be a little more laissez-faire about the goals mm-hmm. where it seems like for you that wasn't necessarily the case yeah i I think it's hard to have the balance with both, but you can. Um, I mean, I set a goal. I I had a goal for this race and my goal was a PR, which is crazy. Um, I put the goal of 246 on my mirror back in June before I started my marathon training. But have you done that before? I saw that. Yes. Have you done that before or is that a new thing? thing? So, yeah, but I haven't done it since my my half marathon PR back in 2020. So it was the first goal I've written on there since knee surgery. And so I threw that up, but I had the discussion with my coach. I was like, this is what I want. And I'm putting this goal up there because I want to work my butt off. I want to train hard, but I need to enjoy this process. And part of enjoying that process for me was like getting out on mountain trails, long days with friends. I like, I get so much joy from that, that like, I, there's no way I can say no to a day on the trails. There's no way. Um, and I also, but I also think in retrospect, that could have been like a huge key part of the fitness that I built this summer. I spent, I did like a few longer than marathon days on the trails and on the trail, you're running super slow. So you're out there on your feet for, you know, five hours. Um, and I think that those days that I really enjoyed super slow, fun trail days, like actually really benefited my fitness and so my goal was there but I knew for me I wasn't gonna throw myself into it and like burn the candle at both ends and like get that at all costs like I what that wasn't the mentality of where I was at and then also like I kind of came to peace with it too like I I put the goal up but I was like you know what like at the end of the day if I work my butt off all summer and I'm having fun like whatever I do is going to be enough. I'm not going to be disappointed in myself. As long as I put like a a strong, solid effort into this marathon build, I'm going to stand on that line and be proud of what I've done. Um, 
And so there's like this confidence that I have in that now that I think I didn't really have in 2019 where it was like, must have the PR. If I don't have the PR, I'll be destroyed. Like, um, yeah. All right. Now I'm going to talk. Now I'm going to talk as if I'm the sports psychologist that I talked to this morning. So no, I'm going to like, I'm going to take her question and I'm going to, <laughs> and I'm going to act like it's my question and I'm going to ask it to you. So when you, you just said like, all right, when I do this, then it will be enough. How much of the, it will be enough sometimes gets morphed into I am enough because sometimes those goals, not only the goals, but those race results can mean not just like, this is my current fitness or this is what I was able to perform on the day. It sometimes gets, you know, compounded into this is what I am and this is what mm-hmm. I have done. And this is somehow mm-hmm. a reflection and referendum on what I've been able to do. Totally. Um, yeah, for me, like, I think I would have in years past, I would have seen the race result as like, this is what I'm capable of versus now I'm able to look at the training that I've put in and be like, I worked my butt off. Like, I'm really proud of what I'm able to accomplish on a day-to-day basis. And if I don't get that race result, like, yeah, that sucks. Like, it does. It's really hard lining up and not getting your time, like, having put the work in. But I also, like, I'm able now to be like, okay, like, there's, I've I've worked my butt off and I'm I'm super proud of that. And so even like the night before Chicago this year, like I slept like a baby. I've never slept well the night before race. And I think a big part of it was like, all right, like I worked hard. Like whatever happens tomorrow happens. Like, let's go have some fun. I love that. Now you mentioned before just now, I should say about the super compensation that comes with those five hour days out on the trails. Now, I can imagine that being a huge benefit to just strength and overall fitness, especially from an aerobic capacity perspective. It's also something that can't be done on the roads, right? Like running five hours on the roads, like good luck. Like yeah. that is going to, that is going to hurt. Right. Yeah. And it's not going to benefit your training. I'd also love to know how your trail running also increased you know, elevation gain profiles on each yeah. runs and also the running per week. Um, I'm thinking specifically about one of your runs. I think it was roughly 20 miles that you did like 4,400 feet of elevation gain, which is a considerable amount. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. So I'd love to know like how those runs compared to your road runs and elevation gain profile. Um, and then also like what that may have done to your fitness as well. Yeah, I mean, there's no not really any comparison. Like road running, most of the time I'm running on fairly flat, maybe like gentle rolling hills around the city. Um, trail running, yeah, like the one that you're talking about. Yeah, like huge amount of elevation gain. Um, and then just time on your feet. Like, so you're getting that strength. You're getting, you're getting anaerobic in there too at times. Um, and then just like, a lot of it, I think too, like time on your feet. So I would do, and then it's easier to recover from too, because it's, you don't have the same pounding as you do on the roads. Um, and you're recruiting different muscles and everything. So, um, I found when I was doing trails, I could increase my mileage by quite a bit. Like I had one week of my biggest week ever was like 88 miles this summer, but most of those miles were on the trail and I recovered really well from that week. Um, so I did less intensity that week and I did higher mileage. I never would have done 88 miles on the road. Uh, And way more time on feet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And so then what I found was, you know, like I would do a 42 kilometer day on, so like a marathon. Which is a marathon. Which is a marathon. Yeah. Or slightly more. I think I had some 43 and 44 kilometer days on the trail with like substantial elevation gain. I loved them. I would recover them from them fast. And then the next week I'd go to do my like long run on the road. I'd be like, oh, this is so short (laughs) versus like, you know, normally when you're doing those 22 miles on the road, you're like, oh, this feels so, but they felt short. And so it just gave me a different perspective on my road running. Um, and then I, I really think that's what actually <laughs> helps my fitness the most this summer. Cause I, I, it snuck up on me so bad. I like midsummer, if you'd asked me like in July, if you'd asked me like what I thought my marathon pace was, I thought, I think I probably would have said, you know what, I'll probably run like, you know, I put that goal on my mirror. <laughs> Great. But I'll probably end up running like a two fifty three. And that's fine. Like, that's awesome. I'm back at it. I got a marathon training cycling. Awesome. And then um, I lined up and I ran a half marathon in Edmonton at um, the end of August. And I thought I was going to run like 121, 122. That's what I ran. I ran 121 high in Houston in January. I was like, yeah, I'm like mid-marathon build. I'm not really tapered. Like, I think that's, and my coach didn't even told me to go out like slightly slower, like we did not think I was in very tremendous shape. We didn't think I was in bad shape, but, um, and then I went out and I ran like 119 high. And I was like, I, I was in just, I was in total disbelief at the end of that race. Cause I didn't even, I wasn't, it wasn't full effort. And I got to the finish line and I like looked up and I was like, what? That course has to be short. Like I started telling everyone, I was like, the course is short. Like there's no way I just ran. I don't remember reading your, your your recap of this. I was like, I, I I hope I don't get to the end of this post. And it's like, but the course was like 2.8 miles. I mean, sorry, 12.8 miles. And you're like, oh, what a bummer. You know, like well, that happens, right? We, we all know because we have half marathons. Half marathons seeming to be like the hardest thing to calculate. I feel like I always see these half marathons end up being just a little bit short. Right. You know, it's like, it's a legit half marathon. Like the course isn't short, but I... I think I just had no idea I was in that kind of shape. And it was like, okay, so I guess like 246 is on. I don't know I what happened. That. I love that. All right, let's go to Chicago. So we, I, you know, so we're at like a minute 43 of the podcast. We're finally here. Um, <laughs> so I, first of all, thank you for walking me through all of the journey to get here. And certainly there's way more to the story than just the 43 minutes that we covered. Lord knows. With that said, <laughs> we do have to get here at some point. So might as well do it now. So Chicago. Now this is a race you've run in the past. So you knew like, you know, this wasn't like your first, your first time being in the city, the first time running this race, you knew, you know, what to expect. With that said, post Edmonton half with the goal on the mirror and the race result to back it up. And then also running really well at an ultra again, um, at the end of the summer, talk to me about the strategy going into the race and how bought in you were to that strategy. Yeah. Um, my coach kind of let me come up with my own strategy. <laughs> like he usually lets me like run things by him and then he like, um, pipes back at me. Um, so yeah, I would say like after Edmonton, I was pretty confident that 246 was going to happen. And I had some good, I had some good long runs on the road. I had that good 30 K on the trail, but it's really hard to gauge your fitness by a trail race. Like, I don't know. You just run hard and your pace, you don't really know. So, um, 
yeah, but my long runs that I did have, my key workouts went really well. And so um, going in, I was pretty sure I could make the 246. So we, that's kind of what we stuck with in the back of my mind. I didn't really say this to my coach, but the back of my mind I was like, I think I could maybe run a bit faster. <laughs> um, but the plan going out was to go out pretty conservatively. That's generally how I tend to run marathons. Um, so the plan was to go out in the low 620s, which would have put me, you know, 247. Um, and so, and then try to hold that for late to late in the game and then hammer out the last sort of five to five kilometers or so. That's usually how I try to kind of pace myself on courses that are generally flat. Um, so yeah, I would say... It went mostly according to plan. You want the whole race cap recap? No, that's okay. We, I, I have plenty of questions, so you don't, you don't have to go on a full monologue. But I do appreciate the, the question again. And this is also like the joys of being a parent. People might hear that bumping in the background. This is this was this is just there's kids running around the house. What are we gonna do? Right? We're both parents. This, we're in their forties. This is just what happens, right? So yeah. can't take it out of the podcast. That's what it is, people. We know it's there. We're we're moving forward. So, um, so you ran again. I'm gonna skip the end of the page. You ran incredibly well. Like the execution of this race, I can't imagine it being any better because you ran a 90 second negative split. You you just laid out like here the plan was to run low 620s. You absolutely did that. Again, you had a little bathroom stop, which you know, hey, that happens. What are you gonna do? But yeah. like you're able to get right back in it and run that 90 second negative split in the second half. So, with that being the case, talk to me about you know, where in the second half that you started to develop, which we all end up feeling at some point in a marathon, I'm assuming that you felt it as well, whether it's the tightness or, you know, like a little niggle here, a little niggle there. Like, talk to me about like how, when that process started for you and how you dealt with it, if it popped up at all. Yeah. Well, this is where I think, like, if I'm being honest, I think I probably could have run faster. Um, and I don't think I'm just saying that. So I was like, really, I, I held back cause I just had self doubt. Like I just, I hadn't run a marathon in four years. I was like, I don't know, like, what if I go too hard? Like, and then I pay for it in the last. So I really held back, I would say. Um, and I think in retrospect, I probably could have gone just slightly faster from that half marathon mark to like 35 K. Um, but there was, there was just that like voice in my head that was like, no, don't do it. It's too risky. Um, so I, I ran pretty steadily. Um, I wouldn't say I had no cramping. I had no, like, there was no, like I have had races where I've had like, oh, I feel like my calf might go, but I didn't have any of that. The only time I really felt anything was like literally that little hump hill, like two hundred meters before the finish line. <laughs> I was like, cause I ran my last 5k I think were my fastest so I, I hammered up a pretty solid um last few kilometers yeah, and you were in like the six the six like the low the low 16s kind of vibe yeah. right you're like 613 yeah. to 615 was even 608 or something yeah. like that um and so I picked it up a fair amount at the end and it was really it, I didn't feel anything honestly until I was like going up that little hill and then I was like oh my legs are sore <laughs> It's just that little like bump. And I was like, those jerks were putting that hill here. But then you're just like a few hundred meters from the finish. So you've got to give her. 
Um, so yeah, I didn't, yeah, I don't know. My body held together really well. No point did I think about my knee in that race. Um, yeah, it, it was good. And I think, I think in retrospect, I probably could have run a little harder, but I'm really happy in general with how I paced it. And I can't, you know. I would think so. I mean, a PR at 40 years old coming off major knee surgery is a huge deal, right? So, again, there's no such thing as the perfect race, but it certainly seems like you did an incredible job. That's for sure. One thing I always love to talk about when it comes to marathoning, even if it's apropos of nothing in regards to like the previous parts of the conversation, is just the nutrition element, right? You hadn't run a marathon in four years. With that said, in the last four years, the best practices about marathon nutrition has changed, especially for amateur runners. I think the pro runners have kind of been on this point for a long time, but it's kind of like spread to the masses. Again, maybe you, you know, you fall somewhere, maybe more towards like the pro runner side than like my side of things. But at the same time, like you're an amateur runner through and through. So how has your marathon nutrition evolved? And maybe not just in like the last four years, maybe you want to expand it out, but I'd love to hear more about that. Um, I mean, I would say earlier on, uh, that was something I had to learn. Like looking back on some of my earlier races, I think I took two gels or something like just totally underfueled. Um, but I wouldn't say I didn't make any big changes from this race to my previous marathons. Um, I have a stomach of steel and I can take anything. So I luckily knock on wood, um, I've never really had to worry about it. Like I can just take whatever gels on course. And even if I've never had it before, I've never had an issue with it so for me i just have my tried and true which is like gel at the start line first gel within the first hour gel every 30 minutes 30 to 40 minutes done and so for me i think i took four i think i probably take a little less than most people but i did take some gatorade on the course too so i am maybe not the most type a when it comes to fueling but that's always worked for me um so all right yeah. good to know all right last thing before we get going Earlier, you talked about like kind of that doom cycle of like, oh, my God, I'm looking at my knee and I'm wondering about what the future holds. And I'm in my late 30s. I'm going to turn 40, recovering from a knee injury. What is coming when it comes to my running and marathon fitness? And here we are two years yeah. later, staring down a new PR and who knows what's going to happen in the future. So what would you say to people who while it may not be a knee injury that befalls them are going through that same sort of mental processing and wondering what about this? What about that? And wondering if, yeah, maybe not, this is, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. I think my biggest takeaway from it all is it's probably going to take you longer than you'd like it to. Like your recovery is probably going to be a longer process. Um, and I think patience is honestly key. And it's so hard to have that when you're in it because you can feel like things are falling into place, but like it, sometimes your body just needs more time. Um, and so that was my biggest takeaway is just be patient. Don't get too carried away with like your end result, but to really try to stick with where you are right then and like, just look at where you are and like what you need to do today to get to that next step. Um, if you want that end result too badly, then I think inevitably you end up going too hard, too fast. And um, it just leads to that frustration. But if you do like, I don't know, I might like be patient and stick with it. Cause if you put in that work, 
you're going to get there. It's just, it's going to take time, more time than you wanted to. And you've obviously worked incredibly hard. Polly Moody, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk all about all of this and your incredible day in Chicago. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for having me.